Welcome to Lights in the Sky podcast episode 35, casual chat about uncasual things. I'm Luke. Tony. And we are... Podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hardly, but we're at least 35 weeks into whatever this is. We're pretty deep. Yeah, pretty deep. Um, In this episode, we have a couple of tales to tell. Tony's going to educate us on one of the stories he's taken a shallow dive into. Um, And then we will finish up with the world's favorite podcast segment to be to be determined i think it's already determined <laughs> mysteries uh sorry get me some strange, strange. oh you it's got so, it wrong it's so favorite that i forgot the <laughs> name of it such a great it's such a great segment you can't even recall what it's called yeah. um and just hopefully for the last time uh a little uh, bombshell that we still don't have a prime minister <laughs> we've, we've condensed a lot of um records into the space between well there's some there's drama going on out there hope they're okay hope they're okay mm. one love so we <laughs> join hands and sing <laughs> um yeah so we've managed to cram quite a few banked episodes into the space between the election and the um enunciation pronouncement announcement that's uh, of a prime minister prime announcement anyway it's confusing but right now we don't have a prime minister technically caretaker yeah <laughs> um so uh anything paranormal happened to you since our last Negative. recording nothing <laughs> no it's been what how long has been since last recorded it 11 minutes i think so yeah <laughs> i got a little red right on the red bull i can't even talk which is bad for a podcast <laughs> yeah we're kind of having that issue today which was last week too yeah <laughs> so apologies it's either this or nothing yeah. so take take it or leave it yeah <laughs> um one thing struck me uh we need to you once okay? again explain that we <laughs> once again got to explain we still haven't figured out a way to give away our our amazing book mysteries of the unexplained fresh from 1982 but after this one this is the last one we record for a wee while isn't it is it what do we do again next week i don't know we'll figure that out later you keep talking i'll work it out <laughs> um so yeah um uh those um OG listeners will know that we have a book to give away and should be very excited about it. If they're not, then... Yeah, we don't record again until 10 November. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh. This will air on the 3rd of November. Well, that's the 3rd, 4th November, so we're doing it until the 10th. So by the next episode, by episode 36, we will have something. <laughs> we promise you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't promise. No. If, if you're promising... <laughs> no, definitely then... don't promise. I'm not promising anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm just talking a big game here. There's yeah. no, no promises. Yeah. Um, so we'll figure something out for that, and and hopefully in the next episode you'll know about it. If uh, we haven't had nuclear fallout by then, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to Asia soon, so I could be it could be quite dangerous for Tom. I'll start lining up uh, guest presenters. Well, yeah, it's replaced me altogether. <laughs> yeah. Do you recover from nuclear fallout? Probably don't. Do I? No, do I? So if I get sick with nuclear fallout, I'm probably <laughs> probably the enemy, isn't it? Try and catch the bomb before it detonates anyway anyway um i had something i don't know if it's paranormal or just abnormal <laughs> we tend to blur those lines yeah it normally does in the last week i gave blood i donated blood right have you done that before uh i have but i'm not allowed to at the moment yeah that's yeah it's i don't really, like to ask too many questions really cha- chaotic <laughs> yeah. um 
So I donated blood. I hadn't done it before, but at work I was joking. Did you not do it at school? No, I signed up. That was a great way to get out of class. That was the thing. Yeah, I, I see. I did that and did all the paperwork, but then um, got through to the point where they were about to take it, and I had been sick. Like you have to be, you have to be well for a certain amount of weeks leading up to it, and I had been sick, you know, inside that window, and um, so I never actually gave blood, uh, but was still on on file, as in I was in their system. Right. Whereas I've had sex with men, so I can't give blood. <laughs> There it is, Front Street. Um, <laughs> Which, chaotically, they test it anyway, so I just don't get that. It's just easier then they don't have to worry about something slipping through the cracks, so to speak. Yeah, but there's lots of um, <laughs> there's lots of uh, straight people that have HIV and stuff as well, so it's just ridiculous. I don't think we're getting into that story. Okay. <laughs> I thought this was about me. Well, now I'm having a political stand. <laughs> Isn't it paranormal that they don't take uh, yeah. blood from gay people? Sure. Oh, wait, that's, that's abnormal. Abnormal. <laughs> um, so I uh, rolled up to the... Well, it was like a worker men's club rather than actual blood bank. It's a prime site for gay people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the guy said, have you given blood before? I said, no. I had totally forgotten I'd ever filled out paperwork with this organization because yeah. it was years ago. Yeah. And they said, um, we've hey. got your name and date of birth in the system. Oh, the system. But you can't give blood unless you can tell me your address. And I was like, uh-oh. Because that was at a what? time where I was moving around like every six to eight months. What? It seemed you can't like, give blood to give your address to are verify they, who I was. But aren't they desperate for blood? Well, yeah. why they why they put so many obstacles in the way? <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me. It's like okay, you can't put penny in your bum bum. You can't. <laughs> you have to remember your address. For goodness' yeah. sake, just take my blood. They had to ask. Extra I would cut questions. myself there and just like take it on. You shake it on. You shake it off. There you they go. They had to ask extra questions because I'd been to America within the last twelve months, but only just. But yeah, America. What? Yeah, because there was like Zika and stuff all through South America. Anyway, so this guy said I <sighs> had to... Sounds pretty ungrateful for this blood. I had to recall my address. And I was like, I have absolutely no idea. I've lived in about 12 houses since I gave my details <laughs> over to you. And he said, I'll give you a clue. It's a post office box in Sydenham. I've never lived in Sydenham. No. But... When we were moving around all of these houses, we quite often would have, like, um, our mail just go to the post office, and and that would be the address we give people, right? So that, because we didn't, we weren't on mail routes, so we'd have to go and collect our mail. And I have no recollection at that point of what number. It's so difficult. It's, a, it's like a four-digit number, usually, for what post office box you were. So think about that. Um, this is going back to th- 2002. So we're talking 15 years ago. <laughs> if you had a post office box with a four-digit number, is there any chance you you think you'd remember it? I I remember my like phone number from like like childhood. Yeah, so do I. But that's probably the extent of it. Yeah. Of like memories of numbers from childhood. I remember my address, but we lived at the same house for yeah. all my life up until like probably like 18. So. Mm. If you, if you, okay, thinking about if you, um, what was our address on Milton Street when we lived together? <laughs> exactly. See, you can't remember. No, no idea. So that was more recent. Um, the thing for me there is, um, for some reason, after probably what seemed like minutes, but was actually probably about 30 seconds of dead silence of me trying to remember what my post office box number, it popped into my head. What? I pulled it off. 
I was like, bang, seven, three, one, two, or whatever it was. And then they were like, the guy said, I'm amazed you remembered that. And I said, so am I. <laughs> so had you not been able to recall that, what would have happened? Um, I'm not sure. It would have been like maybe make a new account or re-verify something else. But it, yeah, I don't know. Stupid blood service. But anyway, we were joking about me going to give blood. And I said, if you were a vampire, this would be your front, would it not? Because the thing with, with the New Zealand blood service is that they're constantly saying they need more blood hospitals are constantly saying they need more blood the thing with thing for me is like how can everyone be giving so much blood and the hospital's still short mm. it's a vampire organization it is it, but it also sounds to me like you know the, the business is saying we need more blood and then the people who are actually on the front line can't really be bothered and they're like <laughs> oh no what was we, your address 12 yeah. years ago or whatever it's like the you know your second toe next to your big toe is longer <laughs> <laughs> then you big toe so we actually not taking blood from you it's yeah like, oh. it's like oh yeah um you had an ingrown toenail when you were a baby not taking your blood no <laughs> no sorry oh yeah your eyelashes are a bit long sorry <laughs> not taking your blood yeah. yeah. then they're just eating all those cookies they give you afterwards yeah yeah it. so um at work i was saying if these people turn out to be vampire in any way i'm not doing it yep and so <laughs> So I said, if there's anyone called Nurse Ferratu, I'm <laughs> not playing. Good. <laughs> um, and then a strange thing happened when I was there. First of all, the guy who took my blood, his name was Boris. Which, oh, that sounds... That's vampire That sounds Transylvania-y. <laughs> yeah. Boris um, took my blood. Um, but the other thing was, while I was there in the chair with blood coming out of my elbow... Was he salivating like in his lips? <laughs> no, but... Not far off uh, from the person next to me, because this was one of those uh, like temporary things. So it's quite weird. It's like if they just had a line of nine beds all yeah. out in the open. It's like a field hospital. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, the there was somebody who um, worked there, came across with another person who was donating, and was about to kind of hand this patient off to another nurse. And the first nurse said to the second one just straight into the neck with this one and i was like this is totally <laughs> a vampire place. is it a jokey like do they think does it look jokey or do you think that they were gonna have a wee suckle <laughs> well they said it jokingly but i was still on edge and looking for these clues so it's a pretty inappropriate joke to, to get make, boris get like and then that. get the neck thing i was like this is and then they messed up my arm. You can still see it's really quite like oh, horribly bruised. You? You're, you're deformed. You're, yeah. you're a hideous monster. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But no, in all seriousness, um, donate blood if you can. Oh, I can't. <laughs> they make it impossible to donate blood. Yeah. I've donated it and it said that it, I've got a rare blood type and should be donating plasma every two weeks. Every two weeks? Yeah, they want, oh, they want I... me back. But apparently that one, like my sister's got the same blood type. She's done it where they, they draw it out of one arm and take the plasma out of the blood and then put the leftover blood back in the other arm. This is where I start feeling a bit weak. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe there's a few people doing yeah. that, so let's move on. Um, a bit lightheaded. <laughs> um, okay, it's let's... quite good, I can't give blood. <laughs> um, let's jump into um, a quick hypothetical. <clears throat> now, I don't imagine this one will take too much time. Okay, I'll answer it in ten words or less. Okay. <laughs> and this feels weird even having to ask you this, but this was submitted by a listener. Oh, cool. Okay, that's yeah. nice. Thank you for your submissions. Um, well, submission... Unless it's your second one. So the question or third here or fourth. is... Or more. And I feel weird even asking. 
I feel weird. What's what's going on, man? Here we go. What's this one about? And I apologise. Are you apologising? I ap- apologise to you and your parents. Mar and Pa? <laughs> yeah. And you're about to find oh, out it's, why. it's actually Pa's birthday today. I need to, I need to text him. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> okay. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> um, here's the hypothetical. Would you rather have to watch your parents fornicate every night for the rest of your life... Oh, now I'm feeling even more lightheaded. I've really got blood and now I've got that parental fornication. Oh, my God. Would you rather have to watch your parents fornicate every night oh. for the rest of your life or join in once? Oh. <laughs> I'm done. I was going to kill myself. <laughs> That's the answer. I kill myself. Okay, moving on. Do you want to jump into your... <laughs> Do you want to jump into your um, <laughs> story? We'll dedicate that to Park. Oh, I just did my last name. Beep that out. <laughs> okay, to I'll take a note of that time. To uh, Park Bleep for his birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah all right. well, well done. Happy <laughs> birthday, Park Bleep. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So um, you have prepared a tale for us. I have. I have. I have crafted this expertly. I've added a little salt, a little sugar, uh, some icing. Uh, Any meat? No. Little. Little too much yeast. <laughs> so I'm sorry for <laughs> yeast that. Yeast infection. Yeah. <laughs> yeast um, infestation. And I've whooped it up in a wee uh, bowl and come up with the Thomas Mantell UFO incident. Oh, how surprising. It's UFO again. <laughs> well, I didn't do UFO last time. Oh, okay. It's been two weeks since UFO with Tom. Exactly. That's well, what, this is what you do. You get to the point where you've done like five UFO ones in a row and you throw in one that isn't so that when you do a sixth <laughs> UFO one, I can say UFO again and, and you're like, like no, I didn't last week. No. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you win. Well, I think the UFO ones are the ones that our listeners like the most. <laughs> I have absolutely no evidence to support that claim whatsoever. Right. But the ones I like the most are screw you all. <laughs> um, also, thank, thank you. you for listening. <laughs> okay. So, um, barely six months after the Roswell incident. Roswell. Now, and if you remember from like a couple of episodes ago, we talked about Ken and seeing his flying discs, which yes. was just before Roswell. Yeah. Then we have so that was left the... a placeholder for Roswell, because I want to do the story, but it's quite involved, yep. and I can't be bothered doing that much work <laughs> yeah. at the moment. So I keep coming back to it. So we've skipped over it. So that was um, the episode entitled, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's a Mitzi Mirage. Yes, which came out today. For those of you playing at home. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> Last night, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but not. As we, record. Yeah. as we record. Last as we record. So, yes. So, we're skipping over Roswell, like uh, stones skipping over a lake. Like sands through the hourglass. Um, which is what um, some of the earlier descriptions of UFOs around the disc shape was like. Thanks mm-hmm. for Ken. And we're jumping uh, six months afterwards to uh, Thomas Mantell and his UFO incident. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and so barely six months after the Roswell incident and barely a week after into the brand new year of 1948, one of the more sinister of all UFO... UFO blah, 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 and I've just forgotten how to talk. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. You were able to explain how you forgot how to talk. <laughs> so how does that work? Blah, 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 blah. One of the more sinister of all UFO encounters took place a stone's throw from Fort Knox in You're Kentucky. skipping rocks and throwing stones like... There's an excess of gravel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god, that was good. <laughs> Go. <laughs> the Thomas Mantel UFO incident. <clears throat> that would have made sense if everything that sentence together without your stupid gravel <laughs> thing in the middle. Um, on 7 January 1948, Godman, or Godman, Mr. Godman <laughs> or Godman, Godman Field at Fort Knox, Kentucky, received a report from the Kentucky Highway Patrol of unusual aerial phenomenon. Was fried chicken around there? No, too early. I immediately made that leap. Yeah, no. Like KHP, KFC, yeah. <laughs> Kentucky, what was it? Several witnesses on the ground at a KFC reported an object, <laughs> often described as large, circular, and metallic, measuring approximately 300 feet or 80 to 90 meters in diameter and smelling like... 11 secret herbs and spices. Yeah. <laughs> it looked delicious. <laughs> um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base confirmed that they had no aerial traffic in the area, but they were hungry for chicken. Is it just me, or does Wright-Patterson... They're popular. Yeah, they always appear in these things. Yeah. And they always... Are they the ones that are always saying, didn't see it? Yeah. <laughs> but they, but they, when it comes to their chicken, they'll speak up. Yeah. They want their chicken, but they're not going to identify these flying objects. Yeah. I can't, I can't see anything through this grease. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Quinton Blackwell and Base Commander Colonel Guy Hicks were two... Colonel? There's a colonel in the story? <laughs> We're two of three witnesses in the Godman <laughs> Two of eleven secret witnesses <laughs> in the Godman air traffic control tower that also saw the object. The colonel reported the object as very white, like chicken meat, and about one fourth the size of the full moon. Through binoculars it appeared to have a red border at the bottom. It remained stationary, seemingly for one and a half hours. Observers at Clinton County Army Airfield in Ohio described the object as having the appearance of a flaming red cone trailing a gaseous green mist and observed the object for around 35 minutes. Another observer at Lockburn Army Airfield. How many bloody Air Force bases are there? (laughs) They're all next door to each other. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Noted, just before leaving, it came to very near the ground, staying down near the ground for about 10 seconds, then climbed at a very fast rate back to its original altitude, 10,000 feet, leveling off and disappearing into the overcast, heading 1 to 0 degrees its speed was greater than 500 miles per hour or 800 kilometers an hour in level flight so it's something quirky mm. Mm. it's not normal did you say it was um and this is again the 1940s so there's not a lot of uh super super tech known to people mm. uh, well beyond the capabilities of the aircraft at that time but again it could be experimental military or back to when we talked about ken you know did you say an eighth the size of the moon or is it a quarter of the oh, size don't of the moon? quiz me on this. About a fourth. A fourth the size of the moon. Of the full moon. Okay. So, like, not quite the large potato and gravy, but medium? Medium. Yeah. Yeah. No one upsized yet. It's weird. When you buy... Um, I've bought gravy only at KFC in the past. Yeah. They always give you, like, two spoons. Two little red spoons. So you get a big bit of gravy, because they're good for, like, dipping chips in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. always give you, like, two little spoons in the bag. Like, you're going to sit there and have just have the gravy <laughs> with these two little red spoons. So funny. <laughs> I've handed the bag, it's like, I'm not going to eat this. <laughs> like this. This is going on something. They, yeah. That's probably just a routine thing. They give a spoon away, yeah. like... Shout out, shout out to uh, Jush, 
who uh, has listened to a few episodes of this show and uh, recommended buying the Big Tougher KFC gravy when, you, when you're wanting just gravy made. It's a good <laughs> idea. Well, they brought it out for mashies. Yeah, well, you but no, you but you've always been able to buy just the big gravies by themselves. All right, mm, this is Juicy's tip. <laughs> this is where I've, when I've made poutine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good way to make poutine. Yeah, nice. Anyway, enough of poutine and KFC. Although they are one of our major sponsors of this episode. No, you're thinking of Bouja. Oh, sorry. KFC presents Litz. <laughs> okay. We now head into joke, but we'll yeah. go on. We now head into the investigation. Four P-51 Mustangs were en route to Standyford Air Force Base. I'm not sure if that's one we've not mentioned before. It's too many to remember. When they were asked to investigate the sighting, the Airborne Squadron were under the command of Captain Thomas Mantell. Even though the 25-year-old had only just secured his license as a pilot and had uh, made sort of quite a name for himself in the Second World War where he had been honoured in the Battle of Normandy, he was an experienced pilot of the newly formed Kentucky... Kentucky... <laughs> Kentucky... Air Kentucky Na- Fried <laughs> Air Force. The Kentucky Fried Air National Guard, sponsored by KFC. <laughs> Alongside him were a pair of wingmen. Of course. <laughs> a nice pair. <laughs> it was a three-piece quarter pack of wingmen. Well, this is actually a four, four-piece. Oh, there you go. But the, the fourth pilot was not able to pursue an investigation as his Mustang was low on fuel. He returned to base while the other three continued onwards and upwards towards some delicious chicken. <laughs> okay, pursuit of the UFO. As the trio approached the object, it was clear that whatever they saw was at an altitude of at least 30,000 feet, placing it well above the capabilities of the Mustang's design. Both of Mantel's wingmen broke off pursuit at around 25,000 feet. Mantel ignored all orders and encouragement to return with the rest of his squadron. Did he ask for any thigh or breastmen to no, join him? No, no. <laughs> Um, it is reasonable to assume that at some point during his pursuit, Mantel began to feel overcome with the effects of hypoxia and maybe even spatial orientation, and passed out before we could encounter these before we could counter these effects. So he had no oxygen with them. I've had that when I've eaten a bucket of chicken. You as do well. feel a bit sick, don't yeah, you? you? Straight to the bathroom. You need a nap. <laughs> <And then> yeah. <laughs> Um, according to the Air Force investigation, Mantel passed 25,000 feet and he blacked out, most likely from lack of oxygen. The Mustang probably continued on until gravity took hold of it and made its pilot the first recognised victim of the UFO age. Farman later pulled Mantel's body from the Mustang's wreckage. 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 Keep going. Meanwhile, <laughs> by 3.50pm, the UFO was no longer visible to observers at Godman Airfield. The Mantel incident was reported by newspapers around the nation and received significant media attention. A number of sensational rumours were, <laughs> were also circulated about Mantel's case. According to UFO historian Curtis Pebbles, that's a good name. Um, hey, there's another stone-based name. <laughs> Among the rumours were claims that it was an alien spacecraft that shot Dan Mantell's fighter when he got too close. Captain Mantell's body was found riddled with bullets. The body was missing. The plane had completely disintegrated in the air and the wreckage was radioactive. However, no evidence has ever surfaced to substantiate any of these claims. So they're all claims, but they're all in conflict with each other though, right? Yeah. Either their body was found riddled. Yeah, Yeah. just random claims. Body was riddled with... Uh, bullets but also wasn't there 
Project Sign was the forerunner to Project Blue Book, and they were UFO investigations. Mm -hmm. And the official investigation concluded that Thomas Mantell became embroiled in a top secret mission. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of 11 in his career. (laughs) Known as Operation Skyhook. In the late 1940s, Project Skyhook was conceived as a means by which plastic balloons could be used to transmit <gasps> or send instruments into the stratosphere to conduct research. It's kind of, in my head, that was like what they did on um, The Dark Knight. Was it Dark Knight? Dark Knight Rises, where the balloon went up and then they put the hook. Skyhook. Yeah, <laughs> they hooked the dude back up. They but speculated no. perhaps he pushed himself and his aircraft beyond the endurance chasing a project balloon of which he would have had any not have had any foreknowledge. So secret project chased after it, said it was a balloon, even though I guess a balloon kind of contradicts what witnesses saw. Yeah. Um, the official findings either didn't know about or chose to disregard the many eyewitness accounts of the Mustang's final moments in the air. Glenn Mays was one of those that saw the Mustang in the air. He said that the plane circled three times and gave him the impression that the pilot wasn't aware what the plane was actually doing. Then there was an explosion. The wife of Joe Phillips, owner of the farm close to the plane's final resting place, also reported hearing an explosion before the aircraft crashed to earth. Whoa. The most damning testimony came from the United States Air Force own investigator, Captain James Doosler. Speaking from his retirement home in 1997, he revealed the scene he saw at the site of the crash. The Mustang came down in a wooded wooded area and none of the surrounding trees showed any sign of impact damage. Dusler reckoned that the wreckage was placed there. Both wings had broken off, as had the tail section, each lay a short distance from the fuselage. The fuselage was undamaged and intact, which is unusual if an aircraft had nosedived into the ground. Mm. One of the propeller blades was embedded in the ground. As a former air crash, investigator, air crash investigator, Dusler knew what to look for and what it meant. He didn't believe that the propeller blades were in use when the crash occurred. So mm. like, it all, like the wreckage had just been shot out of the sky and dumped there. Yeah. The crash site is not the only peculiarity to this fatal incident. Mantel was determined to chase down this object, but he kept in radio contact during the pursuit. Mantel had no idea what he was looking at, but he did, but he did describe what he saw. He reported back that this metallic object was massive and that sunlight may have been reflecting off of it. The Thomas Mantel UFO was travelling at half the speed he was, but the craft always remained ahead of him and above his position. In the operations room of Scott Air Force Base, another bloody Air Force Base, (laughs) in Belleville, Illinois, Richard Miller was monitoring the communications. He claims that he heard Mantel refer to occupants. He also added the morning after, intelligence officers from Wright-Patterson, dodgy Mm Wright-Patterson, turned up and demanded that they hand over all materials on the crash. Miller, like all other personnel, had little choice but to comply. So many ufologists consider the Thomas Mantell UFO incident to be one of the more significant cases on record. Some disgraced Olympians agree. (laughs) The official cause of the crash may be what actually happened, but it is conjecture. I think we've cracked it. I think it's that that one dodgy Air Force base is where all this stuff happens. Theorists have proposed other causes over the years speculation into it about a deliberate hostile act to shoot down the mustang has emerged 
Other people talked about an encounter with a force field or an electromagnetic pulse-type cannon, which shot the aircraft down. Mm -hmm. Researchers have also noted that while Mantell was an experienced pilot, he was rather new to the P-51, and that this relative inexperience could have been a factor in the crash. This does not, of course, account for the identity of the strange UFO itself. Following Mantell's death, the fact that a person had died in an encounter with an alleged flying saucer dramatically increased public concern about the phenomenon. Now a dramatic new prospect entered thought about UFOs. They might not be only extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial <laughs> but potentially hostile mm. as well. And with extra seasoning. Extraterrestrial with extra seasoning. <laughs> extraterrestrial seasoning. How very interesting. So, yeah, on the surface, it seems this is what when I had thought about this case, I always thought it was sort of a like open and shut that he there was something weird in the sky. That's true. Yeah. But he just drove up and he um, went too high and and crashed and he flew beyond the aircraft's performance limits, which, you know, probably was the case, too. But there's also quite a bit of evidence here that what actually happened may not have been an aircraft diving out of control to the ground with an incapacitated pilot because of hypoxia and mm. it could have actually been some sort of hostile act from whatever it was that mm. led to it not i mean there's no direct evidence but there's enough conjecture and um discussion from witnesses and ufologists that still leads you to question what happened mm. The, yeah, that um, kind of red herring, not red herring, that kind of um, smoking gun in that is the um, broken up plane without mm. any kind of impact damage to any of the surrounding and areas. For the air, uh, the air force's only air crash investigator to think this doesn't look right, like yeah. this isn't, yeah. Why would his body be riddled with bullets though? <laughs> Does make any sense? Like all those weird theories, like yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, radiation, radiation, I get that. Yeah, smelt like chicken, understand, but. Body missing? Yeah. <laughs> Body missing or riddled with bullets kind of doesn't make too much sense either. No. So was there... Uh, it's a shallow dive, but I wonder if there was like a funeral with a body that could be tracked down. Yeah. 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 Most likely. Otherwise it Catered. would turn up in the um, investigations of everyone else. What do you think the catering was at the funeral? Um, What year was that? 48. 48. I don't know. What did they eat in 48? Some sort of small sandwich? A small sandwich. <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, you'd just get the big bucket of wings, mm. big potato and gravies. But like because of the 40s, the big would have been like small these days. Mm, true. Yeah. Anyway, shall we move on? That's, the- <laughs> That's probably not a lot more to talk about this. We're just yeah. talking about KFC. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So um, shall we dive into the final segment of um, the show where we take the 1982 Reader's Digest version of Mysteries of the Unexplained and flick to a random page, read some random tidbits. We call this Get Me Some Strange. Alrighty. This week it's my turn to flick the book and read the story. And I get to say start or stop? Um, Both. Okay, start, stop. Oh, that was quick. Mm. We're right on the title page, no need to pad. What have we got this time? (laughs) It's probably... Not the most exciting. Well, it could be. Cures and Immunities. Ooh. It's just a really far from a motive title. So I reckon I'll, I'll read a couple of these. Um, looks like there's a lot of stuff going on with Saints. Ooh! <laughs> Holy. You don't mean that. Um, let's see. 
Don't call me out on what I mean and don't mean. In front of our audience. The saintly ordeal of Peter Igneous. Another type of rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1068, the citizens of Florence, Italy, took to the streets to protest the appointment of their new bishop, a man well known to have purchased the office at the cost of an enormous bribe. Three buckets of chicken, four potato and gravies. That is a good bribe. I get you across the line, I reckon. Extra seasoning for all. And this is the back of the day before KFC was widely available, so it would have carried a bit more. Only the judgment of heaven, it was decided, could settle the matter and bring the rioting to an end. And with that in mind, St. John Gulbert, abbot of Vallombrosa, ordered one of his monks, Peter Aldobrandini... Does These are right? some good names if you could get them in Scrabble. <laughs> to submit to God's judgment in an ordeal of fire. <laughs> okay. This is you don't see that these days. No. Um, you two uh, can't decide on a prime minister. Ordeal, ordeal of, of fire. fire. <laughs> Let's do this. Two mountains of wood, ten feet long, with a narrow passage between them, were duly made ready for the test. When the wood was burning fiercely, Peter, who had prepared himself by saying mass, removed his outer vestment and walked slowly between the two infernos along a pathway now strewn with red-hot embers. He emerged from the fire unharmed, his hair unsinged, his priestly robe unscorched. He then volunteered to go back through the fire again, but the crowd was convinced God had made his will plain. The bishop was deposed and later came to repent his actions, and Peter Aldobrandini eventually became a cardinal. He was canonized as Saint Peter Igneous, the rock from the, <laughs> the rock from the north. Saint Saint Peter Fire. Full stop. The end. The end. This kind of feels like it should run on. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read one more. The Lankadus Fire Dance. Okay. Around the year 1250, the Church of St. Constantine in the Thracian village of Costi caught fire. It was said that some of the villagers heard the icons groaning, dashed into the blazing church to rescue them, and miraculously emerged unharmed. Icons? People, I guess. I don't know what that means. Neither do I. Like, maybe it's some like religious Victims. type statues or something. Statues, yeah, like the statues of murmuring, like like Christ ones. Okay, yeah, true. Um, oh, here the we go. I think I think we're about to find out. Uh, since then, the icons of Saint Constantine and Saint Helen have been passed down from one generation to the next, and every year on the feast day of the saints, May twenty first. Oh, what's the date today? Nope. Nope. The, the descendants of the early parishioners have honoured them with a fire dance. See, okay, we're getting into the can't, not unexplained anymore. Um, in the early 1900s... Did they, run with a, did they run them with a fire extinguisher? Is that how they got out okay? Yeah, yeah they worked for the fire department. Yeah. In the early they had a 1900s, good evacuation plan and they knew how to fight a fire. <laughs> exactly. Fire blanket, yeah, holes... Some of the firewalkers moved to Greece, taking the icons with them. There they continued their ritual celebration. The fire, which covers an area some 12 square feet, 
is lit early in the morning while those are to dance prepare themselves. For several hours they contemplate the icons in rapt concentration as it, and as they meditate the ancient music of drum and lyre is played. At length when the fire is glowing cherry red a dancer rises to his feet enters the flames and begins to dance. Another follows him then another each carrying reprodu reproductions of sacred pictures. For half an hour they dance treading on the logs and embers until the flames are finally extinguished. Mm -hmm. The temperature of the coals recently measured, recently by 1982 <laughs> standards, measured by Dr. Christo Xenakis of Athens General Hospital 17 degrees Celsius? Range from 500 degrees to 850 Fahrenheit. Whatever that may be. Convert it. In your own time, please. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking to me or listeners? Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I would have expected third-degree burns in all cases, Dr. Xenakis said, but he found that only a few of the fire dancers were harmed, suffering blistered feet. Uh, a young American who joined the fire dance, George Mills, was however hospitalized with third-degree burns. Young American? Young American? He was the young American? He was. And he was hospitalized with third-degree burns on both feet. It's almost exclusively a question of faith said the village's chief firewalker 50 year old Constantine Katsinos adding that one must first overcome the feeling that is impossible once guided by faith and concentration the actual dancing on the burning coals is painless you feel something but it's no more like than like walking on a prickly field despite the heat the strange thing is that your feet sometimes even feel cool alright whatever <laughs> And on that note, we'll call that another episode of Lights in the Sky podcast. Um, join us for the next episode of... Which is going to be in how many months for us? Oh, it's like... Six, just over... Like, we'll weeks. be recording it in just over a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Um, uh, by then, we'll probably have some things, some ducks in a row, and we can organize some ways of people to jump through some hoops... To win some things in the meantime keep um keep your tweets coming if you've uh, just joined us let us know where you're from if you haven't just joined us let us know where you're from if you haven't let us know no you haven't let us know join us yeah <laughs> um have some kfc if you're feeling like it if this episode's made you hungry yeah tell a friend yeah what's your favorite kfc tell a foe tell an enemy just tell people <laughs> review us although we won't see it no <laughs> um we yeah other podcasts tend to say leave us a nice review um would be nice if you did that but don't expect us to comment because we can only see the ones from the new zealand app store <laughs> so we don't actually ever see them no um but yeah uh tweet us at lits underscore podcast instagram is the same thing so yeah. when i go to america next year i'll check our reviews <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh, cool so that'll be us um we will catch you next week thanks for bearing with us while we're doing a bit of a banking <laughs> yeah. we'll get in there bank over yeah toodaloo